Welcome to Hope City Church, Melbourne, Australia. Stay tuned for another inspiring message by Pastor Andrew McGrath. James 1 verse 2 says, Consider it all joy. My brethren, when you enter into or encounter various trials, knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect work, so that you would be perfect and complete and lacking, wanting in nothing. Every trial that you go through in life is designed by God to advance you. Now, every trial is not sent from God, but every trial, there is in that trial, there is a God opportunity for your advancement. You need to hear me. Some of you actually don't believe that. You've been through some horrendous things in 2015 and maybe 14 and 13. And you can't see that there's been a whole lot of good come out of that. But I want you to know today that in every single trial that you face, God has a design for your advancement in that trial if you will ask the right questions. In the trial, God wants you to be a greater thinker of his ways and his thoughts in the trial, there is an opportunity for you to think greater thoughts than you've, than you've ever thought before. I know that's what God's been saying to me. Andrew, you've got to change the way you think in the trials. You can start to ask the right questions in the trial. I've shared with you that many of the trials I've gone through, I've asked questions like, why me? What have I done wrong? What are you doing? Do you have another plan? Is there anyone else up there? I've asked all sorts of questions. There have been whining, moaning, complaining, questions of doubt and unbelief, questions that are angry questions, questions that are frustrated. And I've been sharing with you that James goes on to say that if anyone lacks wisdom in a trial, let him ask or her ask from God. And it's so important that we ask the right questions in trials because questions are like keys that unlock provision in our life. The wrong question will unlock misery and strongholds and the enemy's plans. See, if you ask questions like, God, why are you doing this to me? You will unlock the domain of the enemy over your life. You'll go further and further into doubt and unbelief and, angry, and an angry heart. But if you ask the right questions in the midst of your trial, you will unlock provision, blessing and favor. Is anyone out there at all? If you were going through the same trial, I suggested a few weeks ago, maybe it's time to ask a different question. If you keep going through the same problem over and over again, if it's been from one church to another, one workplace to another, one relationship to another, whatever it might be, if there's a recurring theme happening in your world, start to ask a different question. Like this, Father... Who do you want to be to me in this trial? What is it you're causing me to see right now? Where is provision right now in the trial? You know, if you would just ask a right question, it will unlock something in the trial that you've never seen before. I shared with you a number of weeks ago the story of Hagar, that she was locked up in pain under a tree, and her son, the promise, 
was under another tree. And the Bible says that they both started to cry out, but the angel of the Lord came to the son and not to Hagar. He heard the cry of the boy, but not the cry of Hagar. Why? Because Hagar represents the pain in the trial. The son represents the promise. And, and the Lord said, don't hide in your pain, embrace the promise. Because where the promise is, there's provision. Yeah. It's not that God doesn't like you when you're painful or when you're, when, when you're sick, crying out in your pain. It's not that he doesn't feel for you, but God responds to faith, not to pain. Have you ever discovered that in the midst of your trial, when you're voicing your pain and your anger, it seems that God's not listening or responding. Why? Because God wants to relate to you like a father to a son. He actually believes that you're empowered. He actually believes that you're powerful. So he doesn't respond to you in your pain. He responds to you out of the promises. When you begin to think different and ask different questions, all of a sudden you unlock heaven in your life. And if God is not moving in your world, maybe it's because you are asking the wrong questions. Don't hide in your pain. Come across and embrace the promises. Begin to think like the son of the king. Because the moment she held the boy, her eyes were open to provision. I want you to look at me carefully. I want you to notice something. Your provision has always been there. See, God's designed that in every trial there's great provision. That's the nature of God. So provision is there. The problem is that you can't see it when you're in pain. I'm speaking from experience. I've got more trials than you can poke a stick at in my history. And I know this, that when I'm captured by my pain, I cannot see provision. God won't speak to me like a victim. He speaks to me like a son. And when I begin to see what he sees, when I begin to ask questions that unlock my destiny, my greatness, that's when God begins to communicate. But when I'm uptight, God can't speak. It's a story about the widow and Elijah coming to the widow. and She can't, she can't perceive provision coming because she's so caught up in her pain. And when you're caught up in your pain, you can't hear God speak. God's speaking, but you can't hear him. And I don't know who I'm speaking to, but there are some people here today that, that God is saying, do not bring your pain of 2015 into 2016. Not because he doesn't love you, it's because he does love you. But he knows this, that if you hold on to your pain, if you ask the wrong questions, provision can't come in 2016. Don't keep repeating the same mistakes. Don't keep asking the wrong questions. This is a year of advancement for you. Here's a question for you. Is your thinking bringing you into greater degrees of freedom and empowerment? Is it? Is your freedom, the way you, sorry, is your thinking, the way you think, bringing you greater degrees? Am I more free now than I was a year ago? Am I more empowered? When I come up against obstacles and crisis and circumstances that are adverse, am I now more prone to think like God thinks, looking for solutions, looking for opportunities, rather than reacting and going into a, a self-pity mode or, or an angry mode, am I now beginning to say, Father, 
I know you haven't left me or forsaken me. I know that you, you said that you would never leave me like an orphan. You would never leave me or forsake me. You are here right now and there's provision in this crisis. And I know that if I keep my eyes on you, that you are going to unveil to, to me what I can't see now. This is going to be amazing. That's why James says, count it all joy when you face trials. Why? Because in the midst of a trial, there is amazing opportunity. In the midst of the trial, God is going to reveal himself to you as a father like you've never seen before. The enemy designed the trial to take you down, but God's going to turn it around. God's going to make you great out of this trial. This is going to be the best thing that ever happened to you. And eventually the enemy will get tired of sending you trials because all it will do is lift you up, up and up. Why do I say that? Well, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2 that, that they never would have crucified the Lord of glory had they known what was about to happen. They would never have done it. And it's the same with you. The enemy never would have sent that trial if he had have known what was going to happen in your life. Blessed is the man and the woman who endures temptation and trials. For when he's been approved, they will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those that love him. And that's our goal in 2016. We want to have on our heads a crown of life. Jesus on his head was placed a crown of thorns, the cursed way of thinking, the fallen way of thinking. But instead of that, now we have a crown of life. So whenever we go into circumstances, we have a greater way of thinking, a way of ruling. And you know what? When you go through a trial and you overcome and you see God's provision, there is a crown that is placed on your head and you now have authority in that domain. Are you hearing me? When you, when you overcome, whether it be finances or relationship, and you see the greatness of God, you ask the right questions, God plonks a crown on your head, and you have great authority now. You are now one that brings the mind of Christ into that domain. Amen. Father, in 2016, we thank you for great thoughts. Lord, we're going to be people that ask the right questions in every circumstance. What are you doing now, Father? What are you causing me to see? Who do you want to be to me in this situation? Thank you, Father, that we have the mind of Christ. We will not react out of fear and pain, but we will see what you see. I thank you for glorious, large thoughts. Increase our thinking to see what you see. Enlarge our thinking, Father. Upsize it right now. Upsize our <coughs> dreams and our thinking in 2016. Amen? Amen? Right now, verse 22. All right. So be doers of the word and not hearers only. Don't deceive yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who observes, observes his natural face. That word natural face is literally, in the Greek, his Genesis face. The face of his origin. His face as God sees it. His spiritual identity okay that's what it's talking about for anyone who's a hearer of the word and not a doer he's like someone who observes his natural face his genesis face he sees for a moment what god sees when he looks at him and it says he observes himself but then he goes away and immediately he forgets what manner of man he is i've had that I, 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 I don't want to share too much because it's embarrassing, but I think back to when I was a kid, 
how I responded to some amazing altar calls. God moved in my heart. And within half an hour, I was acting like a heathen. I forgot what manner of man I was. It was genuine. I really did respond. Yes, Lord, pick me. I give you my life. And James is saying, don't be like the man who gets a revelation of who he truly is and then they face a crisis and they immediately forget what manner of man they are. Trials come to tempt me to embrace a false face, not my true identity. Every trial that comes against you, it is a temptation to, be, to revert back to a fallen mindset. That's why they're there. That's what the battle is over, to get you to go back to fallen thinking. That's what it's all about. But he, in verse 25, who looks into the law of liberty, the perfect law of liberty, and continues in it and is not forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in all he does. I truly believe that Father God has so designed it that the battlefield that we face in life is used by him to reveal what face I have embraced. It's only a trial or a temptation that can truly reveal what you really believe. I will soon see if I'm acting like a son or an orphan, whether I'm wearing my crown right now, whether I'm asking the right questions. It just takes a trial. just takes a trial. just takes something from left field. You know, some of the major crises in my life, it's been a real test to see whether I really believe what I preach. You know, in, in the midst of writing my, this new book that I am writing on peace and troubled times and anxiety, in the middle of writing it, actually it was the day after I'd written a whole slab of it, and a great crisis came, and it's almost like the Holy Spirit said, okay, let's make that book a living reality. See, if revelation comes, if I look into the mirror and see my face, my true face, if it comes... And I don't allow it to transform my life. In, in that very area, deception will come in. If you hear the word today and go, yes, I believe it, yes, yes, good preaching, pastor, and you intellectually understand it, but it, it doesn't transform the way you behave, deception will come. The people who are in the most danger were the Pharisees because they heard the word of the Lord and they embraced it in an intellectual manner but it never changed the way that I lived. And one of the things that trials will do, it will reveal to you what face that you're living out of. Mark 4 verse 5 says, there were some seeds that fell on rocky, stony ground. And the sun came up, and because there wasn't much depth of ground, the, the seed grew very quickly. And when the sun came up, it scorched the plant, and it shriveled and died. And as I read that passage, it says the soil was shallow. And the word shallow is the Greek word bathos, which means little revelation or little mystery. And when you embrace something and there's little revelation or mystery, you haven't contended for it, you haven't looked into it, you haven't poured in, into your heart, you haven't like whether it's sonship or provision, whatever it is in your life, if you don't contend for that thing, when the sun comes, when adversity comes, it will test the genuineness of your revelation. Yeah, that's right. 
Some people say yes to Jesus and the seed goes in a little way, but because they haven't contended for that, because it hasn't really been fought over and understood and grasped in the heart, the moment they walk out the door and they come to some sort of conflict, someone challenges their faith, the sun comes and it kills the seed. And the purpose of the trial is to test for you which face you're beholding. But don't be discouraged today. I've failed many trials and tests, got angry, frustrated, fearful. And all it is is an encouragement from the Holy Spirit to say, you know what, let's go back to the mirror and look again. I've got all the time in the world. We'll do this thing. You will get through. Holy Spirit doesn't say, see, I told you. You've been looking at the wrong face for years. No, no, he, he encourages us. He says, okay, now you see what I see. Now you see that you actually don't really believe the face that I have for you. Come back and let's look together. Let's begin to see again who you truly are. So when the next trial comes, you will not be shaken. Every contradiction that we face would seek to persuade us that we're incomplete, powerless, alone, without Father's love or attention. I think this connects us with the end of this chapter because, do you remember, James goes on to say that if anyone thinks they're religious and they don't bridle their tongue, they deceive their own heart and their, their religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion is to look after orphans and widows and keep yourself unspotted from the world. Because when I face a contradiction, the first thing that happens is my mouth begins to run off. I begin to speak fear. And he says here, if you think you're religious, if you think, you think that you and God are like that and you understand his ways and you've got what he says about you, well, he says pure and undefiled religion is first you need to have control over your tongue. It will come out. There will be, when, when a trial comes, what's the first thing that comes out of your mouth? Oh my, why me? What are you doing? Fear, anxiety, stress, resentment, disappointment. Just, just listen to what comes out of your mouth. It will tell you whose face you're beholding. It says pure and undefiled religion is to visit orphans and widows in their distress. I thought about that, you know, one of the things about widows and orphans is a lack of male leadership in their life. And one of the things that's going to come out in the midst of the trial is this fatherless attitude that many of us have. Where we truly don't believe that our father is with us and cares for us. James is saying in the, in the midst of the trial, you will know that you've been looking at the wrong face, where you've allowed the world to define who you are and not Father by what comes out of your mouth and by the attitudes of your heart. It's an orphan heart. Yeah. And you'll know by the words of your mouth. Now, I know he's saying that we need to look after orphans and widows, but I think he's saying something deeper here. He's saying that in the midst of the trial, who's father to you? Pure and undefiled religion is to visit orphans and widows and to keep oneself unstained by the world. 
I thought about that, yeah. In the midst of trials and stress, the world system is stress, anxiety, avoidance, idol worship. You know, in the midst, for me, in the midst of stress, what did I do? I turned to, to, to things to fill that, that hole. Instead of going to God, my Father, and allowing Him to speak to me and love me and give me perspective, you know, maybe some of us find ourselves on Xbox or, or whatever it is. It's avoidance. It's filling our world with distraction because we're avoiding the consequences of the test. And I believe today that God wants to change us at a, at a deep level so we really know our true face in the midst of a deep crisis. James 1-2, we read this morning, count it all joy when you encounter test. Knowing that the testing of your faith, what's the testing of our faith? To truly see what God sees when there's so much contradiction. It says, count it all joy when you go through these tests because the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And that's what God wants for us in 2016, a steadfast mindset, a steadfast gaze that I know that I know who I am. And you can't buy steadfastness over the counter. It will be tried and tested. You will go through challenges and you're going to have to hold your nerve when everything is saying contradiction. You've, you've heard from God. He's told you this is who you are, but everything in the world says wrong, 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 wrong. And you have to keep looking in that mirror and saying, God, what is it again you see when you look at me? Who am I again? What do you see? Tell me again when you look at me how victorious I am, that I'm an overcomer, a man with great destiny, a woman of great destiny, despite everything that's saying the opposite. You've got to learn the power of steadfastness. This is what Abraham had when, when he got a word from the Lord that he would be the father of many nations. He looked into the mirror. He saw his destiny, but all of the world said, wrong, wrong, wrong. But what did he do? He just got more and more happy. He got more and more joyful. He just allowed steadfastness to rise up within him. And he says, I know in whom I have believed. And I tell you what, when one man, one woman gets a revelation of who they are and they go through trials and testing and they don't fall over, but they grow stronger and stronger and stronger in that revelation, that's when you get the crown of life. That's when you become dangerous. And God is raising up men and women in the church right now. They're not blow over by night. They've been tried and tested. Some of you have been through years of testing and trials in the backside of the desert. And you've remained strong. There is a crown of life that God has for you. And he's placing it upon your head. There are domains for you to conquer right now. Now, when I talk about steadfastness, it's not supposed to be tough. Oh, I'm being steadfast in this season. I'm going through my trial and tribulation. Now, he says, count it all joy. You can only be steadfast in your true face if joy takes the lead. You can only be steadfast in your true face if joy takes the lead. And now I can prove it. Psalm 16:11 says, "In your presence." That word literally means face to face, as in a mirror. In your presence is fullness of joy. When you look into the mirror, 
the consequence of looking steadfastly in the mirror is an abundance of joy. And do you know what the purpose of joy is? The Bible says, count it all joy. That word count is the word to rule and reign. Joy is a dominant spiritual force. It is a leader in your life. That's why it says of Jesus that he... Uh, let me think of the scripture. Hebrews 12 verse 2 says... Who for the joy that was set before him, joy led before him. He despised the shame. He didn't consider the shame and he pressed on because he could see the goal. Joy was lifting Jesus up and through the trial into his destiny. And he set his face towards the face of the Father. And joy led him from where he was to where he was about to go. And some of you need to hear this today, that you're not designed to endure this trial and tribulation by being stoic or strong in your own strength, but it should be the strength of the joy of the Lord. This is designed, trials aren't designed to just endure and push through and grit your teeth. It should be with joy unspeakable and full of glory. This is what does the enemy's heading. He designed the, joy, the trial to keep you in his dark domain of misery. But I tell you what, I told you a few weeks ago, the reason Jesus was spewed out of hell because he was too joyful. He went down into the bowels of hell and there was so much joy. It says of Jesus that the oil of joy was on him more than all of his companions, the happiest man that ever lived on the planet. And when he went down into the bowels of, the, of, of hell, he was spewed out like Jonah was from the whale because the kingdom of darkness is misery. But I tell you what, if you stay in the joy of the Lord, it will expedite you out of your trial because the enemy can't hang around people full of joy. Joy is the dominant spiritual force in your life. You don't conjure it up. You have joy in you. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of joy. You have the fruit of joy in you right now. I need to find it here. It's in me. Release it. Say, Father, I thank you right now that joy, you are joy. And I look into the mirror in your presence face to face is fullness of joy. And as I read your word, as I spend time meditating on you, thinking about you, joy begins to come up inside me. And I think about the trial and I laugh at it. Ha, 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 ha. Is that the best you could do? You think you could conspire with all these circumstances to take me out? I'm the polystyrene man. I'll keep popping back up. You can't take me down. And even in this church, the enemy had come in and flicked us with his tail. He thought we'd all run away. But we've just said, joy, joy, joy. You will not take us out. The more I gaze into the mirror, the more I see the reality of my new identity. I can't help but win. You know why? Because I am a much-loved son. Hades literally means to not see. It is the place of ignorance where man is, is trapped by an inferior opinion of himself. That's what Hades means. But we're part of the kingdom of God. We see what our Father sees. We see his good opinion. See, that's what the glory of the Lord means. The word glory means his good opinion. We see that. May the glory of the Lord fill the earth. As the waters cover the sea. May we know as we are truly known. You know, when the Father looks at you, 
he is just gobsmacked. James 1.25 says, But the one who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it. We have to keep looking in the mirror until we see what Father sees. And I want to encourage you, listen, the object of reading the Bible is not to finish it. God's not impressed if you read three chapters or five. It, it, it means nothing to him. The object of reading the Bible is to find him and yourself in it and allow it to transform you. Say, so, Father, who do you want to be to me in this season? So for me, God's given me four chapters in John and one Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14 to meditate upon this year. To get it deep into myself. Keep looking into the mirror till I see myself. Do you know how it says in 2 Corinthians 13 verse 14 as a side note? May the grace of our Lord Jesus and the love of our Father and the partnership of Holy Spirit be with you. And this is what he's wanting to do. Holy Spirit is here right now. Listen to me. And he's revealing to us in the mirror the love that the Father has for the Son. The love the Father has that is outworked in great favor upon the Son. And Jesus came to earth to be an example of us, not for us. Jesus came to earth to be an example of us, not an example for us. He came to reveal what it's like to be a son. So when he says, to the disciples in John, he says, you know what, there's a day coming where you'll not need to pray to me anymore. Why did he say that? Because the Father only hears sons. He says, I'm going to go to heaven. And you won't need to pray to me anymore. You'll be able to go directly to the Father because you'll be a son too. And anything that you ask in my name, and so we've taken that to mean, all right, in the name of Jesus, like a theory or a routine or a formula, but God only hears sons. The Father hears sons. When we pray in the name of Jesus, he's saying, what's my name? I've always been the eternal son of God. And when you pray as a son, you see, you don't need to pray through me anymore because I came to show what it's like to be a son who is loved and heard by the Father always. And if you get a revelation as you look into the mirror, it, see, the more we see Jesus in the mirror, the more we see us. Because when I look into the mirror, I see Jesus. I see how much the Father loves him. I see the face of Jesus who is being loved. And as I observe the connection between the two, which the Holy Spirit does, he comes and he shows me this relationship between the Father and the Son. He unveils that to me. It's his delight to show me how much the Father loves the Son. And that relationship is there. Jesus was made visible on earth. He made the invisible God visible so we would see that and see how much the Father loves us. And he's saying, you know what, this relationship between me and you, that's what you've got now. I in the Father, and me in you, and you in me. And the more we look into that mirror, the more we realize there is no crisis, no circumstance that can shake us because we are gripped by the Father's love. We've seen how the Father came through for the Son. We see how the, the Son was empowered to obey the Father. And that's who we are. So now we can pray in the name of Jesus because we're a son too. We can go directly to Abba Father and say, Abba, you see these circumstances. Show me what you're doing now. 
And the more we look in the mirror, the more we realize that we truly are sons and daughters of the Most High God. What revelation. Identity is a spiritual issue. And it can only be revealed by the Spirit to my spirit. That's why the Bible says that the Spirit in my spirit cries out, Abba, Father. So can you see the role of the Trinity? That the Holy Spirit comes, see, he comes from the side of the Father. He comes and he comes in our heart. In, I'm going to prepare many mansions for you. That's not a home in heaven. That's a home in you. You are the mansion. The Holy Spirit comes and he invades your world. And his role is to reveal to you the Father and the Son. And we are to spend our life gazing. Holy Spirit, I pray, open my eyes to see Abba Father. Show me the greatness of his heart towards me. Show me Jesus. And let me look at his face to see what it feels like to be loved by a father like that. Can't you see that when that happens, no trial can intimidate you? That's why you can count it all joy. Why? Because the father has got your back covered. And I read in James 1.26, if anyone thinks he's religious, doesn't bridle his tongue, he deceives himself. That one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God is to look after orphans and widows and keep yourself unspotted from the world. The mandate of the church for this year, for every year, is to call out the true identity for every widow and orphan. In your schools, in our care arm, in your workplace. The devil is the master orphan. I don't have time to go into that, but that's his, that's, that's his DNA. He's an orphan at heart. He attacked the father's heart in the garden because he's an orphan. He is fatherless. So the number one symptom of all mankind without Jesus, their, their major problem is they have an orphan heart. They're fatherless. And, the, and when you're fatherless, you don't know your identity. You don't know where you came from. You don't have, see, the role of the father is to call out destiny. So when, I've told you when I sit around our kitchen table, I call out destiny. You'll be a doctor. You'll be a nurse. Oh, sorry. You'll be a doctor. You'll be a nurse. You'll be this. You'll be that. And we joke around. The kids tell me, stop it, Dad. Don't you tell me what to do. But I'm calling out destiny. I'm saying, I believe in you. You're going to be great. And the role of the father is to call that out. And you look where people are secure, where families are a whole, there will be a strong father. I don't mean a dominant father, but a father that loves, that calls out, that believes in, that lifts up. You see it in the eyes of a wife. You see it in the eyes of a child when they're loved by a strong man. And the role of the church is to call out an identity to a world that is fatherless. Matthew 16, 16. Jesus asked the most important question in the Bible. Who do men say that I am? And Peter got it right. Simon said, you are not the son of Joseph, because that's what everyone thinks you are. But I've seen something from the Father in heaven. You are 
Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to Simon, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, or Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven, because I know you're not clever enough to get this. And I say to you, you're right about me. You See, we don't regard Jesus according to the flesh anymore. You've seen that, that I'm not just... I haven't come, and my connection is not with an earthly connection. Yes, there was a, I used Mary as a forum into the world, but my true father, my true identity comes from my father in heaven. You've seen that. And let me tell you something about you, Peter, Simon. You are Peter, little rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. In Deuteronomy, God was, was known as the rock who fathered Israel. Read that scripture. Deuteronomy 32, 18. You have deserted the rock who fathered you and forgot God who gave you birth. Jesus is saying to Peter, you are a little rock, a little chip off the block. You are little Peter, little rock, and you are fathered by the big rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. And what's the rock? The father heart of God. What's the church built on? The revelation of the Father heart of God that comes to the world. He says, and that's what I'll build my church on. The word church is ecclesia. And our role, ecclesia means to call out, to, to name man's original surname. That's what it means, to call out man's origin or surname. So our job is to remind a fatherless world that there is a God in heaven who's not some distant God. He is your Father. And the church says, you know what? It may not seem like God's around, but he's fathered you. He has an identity for you. He loves you. He has a purpose. And we begin to call out mankind's identity. They can't see it. They are lost. They are blinded. And that's our job to say, there is a father in heaven that purposes you, that loves you, that has an amazing plan. And the passion that he has for the son, he has that same passion for you. And we begin to call that out. We don't call out the darkness, we call them into the light. So this year, Father, show me how I look. I don't want to go a day without looking in the mirror because I know if I do that, I'll quickly forget. And do you know how I, I will know that I've forgotten what I look like? Through my mouth. I'll start speaking words of fear. I'll start acting like an orphan. And I know I need to go back and look in the mirror again. Show me, Father. Holy Spirit, show me the Father. Show me what a son looks like. Show me what I look like. So I want to look in the mirror every day and gaze at the face of Jesus. Because I'm in him and he's in me. But you know the other thing I want to do this year, much better than ever before? I want to become a mirror to our world. I want them to say, you know what? Look at this. There's a scripture that says, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, God said, let there be light in the darkness. And he has made the light shine in our hearts so we would know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus. Let me read that again. Listen. God said, let there be light in darkness. And he's doing that right now. He's opening eyes to see the true heart of the Father. And he has made this light shine in our hearts so we would know the good opinion of God that is seen in the face of Jesus. God is opening your eyes right now to see Jesus as he truly is. Jesus is the most loved person in all of the universe. 
because he's loved by his Father. And we're beginning to see that the light's coming on. The darkness is dispelling. We're beginning to see how loved we are by the Father. And that's a dangerous man or woman in the kingdom. Do you know what threatens the enemy more than anything else? Is your intimacy with the Father. When David came in against Goliath, Goliath began to, to, to shake in his boots because there was a man, a little tiny man standing in front of him that knew how much he was loved by God. And you touch David, you touch his father. And so you touch one of my little girls and you'll have me to, to deal with. And it's the same with David. He knew because of that relationship he had with He didn't have to come out with the, you know, the 10 spiritual laws and, and do this and that. Just stepping in. He knew that the Father came because they were intimate. And I want to hold up that mirror to the world this year. Jesus said in John that the world will know that he has been sent by the love that we have for one another. It's our love that we sing about, this genuine love that we have from the Father that's also towards each other. Because here's a thought. You, if you can't love your brethren who are part of the same vine, who are connected to the same vine that you are, there's a problem. There's a love that's going to be... You watch in, in the years to come, God is ramping up his demand for love in the kingdom. It's a holy demand. He's going to cause the brethren to come together. This world needs to see a church that's powerful in love that's able to work through disappointments and disagreements, anger, frustration. And you know what? We're joined together by the power of his love. It's the same love that sent Jesus to go and restore Peter when he denied him and let him down. The same love that restored Thomas, who doubted him and made him one of the great leaders, went to India, changed that nation. So, Father, today, cause us to see our face in the mirror. In the midst of trials, we just, we're going to live in front of that mirror. We want to see your face. We want to see your love. We want to see the face of Jesus, how much he enjoys being loved and loving the Father. And in that place, we know his great provision and breakthrough everything that we need. We want to live in front of the mirror. We want to live recognizing our true face, not the face that the world has conjured up for us, but your face for us. So do that in every person, Lord, today. Those are their faces, or the image of their faces being damaged by what others have said, by circumstances, draw them back to the mirror again to see what you see. And you say over them, they are much loved. They're not failures. They're not a disappointment to you. Oh, how great is your love towards them today. I feel it right now, Lord. I feel, Lord, that there are people here today and they feel like they've disappointed you or they look back over last year and say, what a waste. I could have done that and I should have done that. And I just sense Father saying, I love you. I love you. You're still here. You never quit. You're still here, and I'm going to be with you again and again. I'm going to help you step up to the next step. I haven't quit on you. I never will quit on you. You were always my son and my daughter. So, Father, cause him to see 
their true reflection. And we ask as a church, Lord, this year cause us to be a mirror to our city. A mirror that shows the greatness of the love of the Father to our city. A city that's broken and wounded and fatherless. Let your love flow through us. Every person that we meet, cause us to see what you see.